Welcome to Save What You Love. I'm Mark Titus. Today, I get the chance to hang out with Chad Brown. This is a guy that I found out through my fishing circles. He is a sport fisherman extraordinaire. He's a guide. More importantly, he is a person that is showing us the way forward on how to heal ourselves in the wild. And how does he know this? Because he's done it himself. Chad has been to the very bottom where a human being can go, and now he's rising to the top by becoming a mentor to young people, to BIPOC folks that don't ordinarily get into the outdoors to experience the wild, and to folks that are underrepresented. So excited to bring Chad Brown to you today. Enjoy the episode. Chad Brown, welcome to Save What You Love. Uh, first off, I want to just uh, thank you for your service, sir. Um, it is such a privilege to have you on this show. Where are you coming to us from today? Um, I'm coming out of uh, Portland, Oregon right now. Yeah, you know, the uh, weather's a little gloomy. We're out of the, the <laughs> ice age. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you, you weathered a little bit. Speaking of, you weathered a little bit of a... Uh, turbulent storm here in the last 10 days or so yeah yeah for sure yeah it was it's was pretty tough um you know i think it caught a lot of folks off guard and you know i guess you know we are we are up in the north and um you know mm-hmm. we used to cold weather but i think this time it kind of you know caught everybody off guard you know it's it cut off lights and you know cell phones went out i mean it was it was crazy you know we're here, though. Yeah. Yeah. For all of you uh, who don't know, uh, we've been working on this for several days to put this program together to bring to you. Uh, Chad was out of internet uh, service for a while, and uh, you know we go to every length to make sure that uh, take care of you here at Say What You Love. Um, Thank you. Yes, sir. So you know, just wanted to start out for those folks not in the fishing community or not in the activist community or not in the military community. Can you tell us a little bit about your story and how you came to love the things that mean so much to you? Well, well, you know, um, you know, when we first come out of school or step into the the big world of college, we graduate, you know, we put that short term list and that long term uh, goal list together, and and we are so charged on exactly on what we want to do in life. You know, uh, our paths are straight, and but we never take an account of how crooked those paths can be. You know, uh, you know, and and some of us still walks that path, and some of us, you know, kind of got thrown to the left and thrown to the right a couple times, and we had to figure things out along the way. And where we fall, you know, fall at uh, the cards fall, then. That's where we end up at, you know, and uh, I think, um, you know, with that saying is, you know, I went into the military and with this intention on, um, you know, wanting to go to school and the art, et cetera, you know, and, you know, I, I didn't know what I was going to step into when I got into the fleet, you know, when I graduated from boot camp, 
and got into the fleet, into the Navy, you know, uh, it, I can't say it was the right time or perfect time, but when I got into the fleet, it was kind of like right at the time when there's a storm was happening, the second phase of that, and then Operation Restore Hope Somalia, you know, and then there was just so much stuff that's happening all over the place. And I was, you know, dropped into many different places uh, to experience, um, you know, in, in theater, in war, you know, and, um, you know, I experienced a lot, seen a lot. Uh, my time in the Navy was like 14, um, you know, the 14 months of, uh, I'm sorry, 14 um, countries, um, you know, within a short uh, stint of my time in the Navy. And the longest I stayed in the United States was like four months of my entire Navy uh, enlistment, basically, you know. And, uh, and so, but I, I didn't realize what, what I, um, I guess, I knew what I was, you know, I guess you could say I got exposed, but I didn't realize how much a toll of that exposure took on me when I got out. And um, so as I'm moving forward through life and going back to college, using my GI Bill, um, you know, it, it was uh, slowly but surely I started seeing these um, weird things happening with my body and with my mind. And I couldn't really place it. And so the further I've moved forward in my life, the more of that stuff started to come out. And then, you know, I end up fighting this all the way through graduate school. And then coming out is right when I really started to fight, when I started to really slowly unravel. And the more I unraveled, the more that I really didn't have a, a hold on to my own mind, you know, mental side, you know. And and then that's when it, it's, it's basically I started to realize, you know, through a lot of help. And coming to Portland, Oregon, um, and at the VA, identifying and realizing that I was fighting with PTSD, you know, and and so I got officially diagnosed, uh, 50 percent mentally disabled, and through that whole process, I found myself um, homeless. I uh, found myself in the lines giving blood for twenty dollars for you know a pint, whatever court, and and. Um, you know, and I was on a routine just and that was my only way of living and trying to get money. And then a person put a rod in my hand and took me to the river and said, this is where I used to come fish. And I said, well, how do you get into it? And that was a day that I was like really, really drugged up on heavy, heavy medications. And um, and so when I, um, you know, fought through that piece and that person showed me what to do, I hooked in on my you know, fish, it was a really small jack salmon and I was hooting and hollering all over the place. You know, I was hooting and hollering and, and, um, <laughs> trying to, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't even realize like what I even done, honestly, you know, I was just, I was just happy at that moment. I was just really, really happy, you know? And, but mm. what was really important was I was able to just really key in on the, the air that brushed across my face that I haven't felt in years, you know? Um, and I was really able to keen on the, the colors, the greenery and that was around me on the riverbank, you know, and just looking at those things and just everything like came into focus to me. And that was when I felt like I was alive, you know, and it, it was really weird because all that time that I've been fighting with my PTSD and, and, and popping all these medications, uh, it was like, I was, I was like a walking zombie, you know, and, and I was just moving through with no emotion, no feeling or nothing like that. And so, you know, 
I, you know, I, I, you know, I end up moving forward. And there was a moment that I did find myself on the river about to take my life. I attempted suicide and um, ended up into the VA hospital and did oh, like almost, well, seven days uh, in the suicide watch to prove to the docs that I wasn't going to, you know, hurt myself. And, and so moving forward, I ended up developing a really good, strong community on the water in the outdoors, that community was a balance between uh, hunters and anglers and conservation folks. It was a whole new community to me. And they, each one of them took me underneath their uh, wing, you know, and they taught me new, 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 new way of looking at nature, new way of, of looking at the fish that I, you know, chase all the time, a new way of, you know, understanding the the river and and how to read the river. It was just a, it was just me learning all over again, and, and these are just new tools that was given to me. And those tools, you know, really became kind of like my medicine, that connection back to nature. Uh, and I went back to the VA and start talking to the docs about what fly fishing was doing for me and in this new community. And so, really, they kind of wrote a prescription basically was to fish more. Uh, and if you continue to fish more, we'll slowly wing you off your medications, you know? And, and so that was kind of like my deal handshake with the VA. And I continued to fish more. And the more I did, they winged me off. And the more they winged me off, the more I started to feel like I was alive, uh, you know? And I started to move forward through my life. And I got good at uh, fly fishing, started teaching, started you know, getting stronger. And one day I was, um, got to a point in my life where I was just like, I'm ready to get back into society. I'm ready to do something, ready to make a difference. I want to make a change. But I was like, this time I, you know, I, um, I, I don't want to really just go and work and find a job. I want to do something with, with a purpose, you know, fly fishing gave me this purpose. And so I started to think about how could I continue on with this purpose and how nature, you know, supported me. And that was when I was standing on the river waist deep, with, you know, on the Clackamas River. And I was things like, well, you know, Soul River and, you know, and that was the beginning of my nonprofit. I was like trying to figure out a name for a new nonprofit. And oh, it's like Soul River. Soul River is blah, 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 blah. You know, I was like brainstorming my head while I was in the water fishing. And um, I finally came to it and I said, Soul River runs deep. And it runs deep within all of us. Every one of us has a, a way to connect to the river. Yeah. And whatever we are going through, it doesn't matter how deep it is, the river has a way of helping us get through our process. And so I ended up with Soul River Runs Deep. And that became my entry back into society, my walk in connecting youth and veterans and bringing them together uh, on the water, basically, to serve one another. I Everything you're saying resonates with me. And um, the name of your foundation, your first org, was what drew me to you in the first place. I, I It was a well-chosen name. I just instantly identified with Soul River Runs Deep. And uh, I, of course, identify with um, an emergence back into life after some trauma um, as a person in recovery yeah. and of course identify with the outdoor uh, 
you know, proclivity <laughs> for fishing and standing in rivers. Um, and we're going to dive into Soul River and your newest venture, Love is King, uh, in detail and in depth here in just a minute. But I wanted to give a little bit more backdrop of um, another part of you, which is your artistic integrity and your artistic vision. You've done work with hip hop artists. You've done work on the streets of New York. Yeah. You've done all kinds of really beautiful portraiture and you know things in urban settings and with style and fashion. In fact, um, you have a quote here that says, something special happens at the convergence of outdoor lifestyle and design. You've done your research. <laughs> I'd love to know, you know, the outdoor part. You've done all this really cool work yeah. with amazing artists and uh, folks out there in the world, in the urban world. Why wild? Why portraits and landscapes? Mm. How do you bring together your eye for style, love of nature, and production into the work that you do? I know we're going to dig into the the soul work here in just a little bit, but I'm super curious just about the aesthetics uh, as an artist that you bring to this. Yeah, you know, I think um, wow, we can. This is a whole long, deeper conversation, and I really appreciate you doing your research on that. And I thank thank you for tapping into that. It's it's those are uh, the type of interviews or type of things that actually gets overlooked. Everybody want to focus on Soul River, you know, and so. But yeah, you know. Um, and I've always kind of kept it a little separate, but I guess it's starting to kind of clash, too. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, my yeah, my background as a creative professional is, you know, I did a lot of time in New York, as you said, you know, and um, I had some really awesome opportunities uh, that I was able to jump at and take advantage and run with, you know, as a photographer, designer, creative director and um Art really speaks to my soul and it's right up there in the same level as my new found love, which is fly fishing, you know, that that got me out. But, uh, you know, over a course of time moving forward with my organization, part of that got left behind, you know, and it was me running this organization and in the spirit of my second passion of fly fishing in the spirit of healing and connecting people back to the river. But there's also a piece of me that was like left behind as well, which was the, how nature fed me creatively and the artistic piece of that. And, and so, um, I needed to try to find a way to how to merge my work as an artist, creative professional into what I'm doing. And it took me a while to figure it out because my camera was getting dusty, <laughs> you know, and, you know, my sketchbook was getting <laughs> dusty and everything, you know, and, and, and so what I started to see is instead of me, because a lot of my work does come from the, you know, the fashion world and hip hop and, and runway and, but I'm not in that world, you know, um, but what I am good at and where my skill set lies is not just pitching as a creative director, conceptually coming up with ideas, um, but I know how to execute things and I know how to get behind my lens and also tell that story. And I felt like the better place for where I'm at right now is to use my talent and, and my lens 
uh, and insert myself into uh, marginalized communities, uh, indigenous uh, communities that doesn't speak for each other, et cetera, and then be able to use that to elevate that, give it a platform and elevate those voices up. Uh, you know, and so I stepped out of that creative world where like the money, <laughs> the money was once there, but this is all passion driven, you know, and, 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 but this is also where my love as a creative uh, professional and, um, and this is another way that I could be able to also find healing through being a creative professional through my lens and help tell this story uh, from a very creative conceptual place in which I was starting to do with a lot of my exhibition work, you know, with the Arctic, uh, witching people, et cetera, you know, uh, veterans, but really approaching it in a really unique uh, position to shine light on something uh, that does not have enough light to be shined on, if that makes sense. You know, uh, I'm already in the mix with youth and veterans. I'm already in the spaces. I'm on the, our wildlands. I'm on the rivers. And being able to look through my lens with a more of a story approach and being able to capture the smaller things or capture the 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 impact of what's happening environmentally and and flip that into a really interesting story conceptually that has the ability to transcend itself across the environmental world in back into the urban world uh, because my whole goal is really is to really embrace the folks not really in the conservation world but really embrace people in the urban world you know, uh, I had this idea where it's like if we're going to practice conservation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we need to start stop talking to one another or, pre- or preaching the choir and start advocating and stepping out and getting into uncomfortable spaces and bring them into the fold and share that space where we can create one army uh, in that conservation space. We need we need a bigger army. And so. You know, with my past work was all centered around, yes, environmental, but the way we positioned that was more straddling from the environmental world into urban world communities and using story how to capture that audience and bring them in, inspire them about the the needs and what's happening environmentally, what's happening with the indigenous people, et cetera. And we went inspired new story. Guess what? We have a future ambassador, you know, a future champion, right? That champions go, wow, how can I be more of service? What can I do now? I get it, you know, et cetera. But we just told this story and, and brought them in. And so now we're creating a stronger army together, you know? And so, um, yeah, I hope I answer your question. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I was talking to David James Duncan last week. He's on the current episode of the podcast. And we talked about this idea of convergence and murmurations of birds when birds all turn in flight at the same time. And I feel like our brains are plugged into the same server. I mean, this is something that, and I know there's a lot of you listening right now that are having these same sort of ideas about how do I turn my life into something that is driven by purpose that is driven right. to be of service that, uh, right. what, what can I use my talents for? 
And um, Chad, that's exactly what I'm hearing from you. Um, it yeah. makes all the sense in the world to me. And I think, you know, for some time I've had the same idea that we have a lot of folks in our immediate circles, whether that's the environmental circle or the sportsmen and women's circle that are speaking our same language. We do have to reach out because as you say, when you create an experience for somebody, whether that's through your visual art or you're taking a kid out through soul river, which we'll get into, or it's uh, rehabilitating a veteran who's dealing with PTSD, that experience will help that murmuration, that convergence with one more person. So it's yeah. beautiful. And, and I think you, you explain that eloquently and beautifully. Um, before yeah. we dive into Soul River, we're close to the water here. I want to talk about living with trauma. And you touched on that here yeah. a minute ago. Uh, you're very open about your mental health. And I absolutely admire that and try to emulate that. I've also been public about my own mental health and, and story of addiction and recovery. And mm -hmm. uh, it, it takes courage. It takes a, a decision to put yourself out into the world to do that. Um, right. I have not come close to a suicide attempt, but I have a lot of friends who have. And uh, I'm curious from your perspective and from a, one person who's found my bottom and I know you found yours – what do you offer for those who are experiencing trauma in their mental health, both in the immediate and in long-term recovery from your point of view and from the journey you've been on? Wow. <sighs> Almost the immediate. Well, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for me to throw uh, out a, an offer or or an idea, an immediate, because that's such there's such a dark place. Um, yes, and I honestly I don't have an answer for that other than uh, whatever that's whatever whatever buoy that's in front of you that you can hold on to. You need you need to hold on to it. Um, you know, and, and uh, rather if you're a believer or non-believer, you need to hold on to it and lean into whoever that person is that's trying to reach out and, and help you. Um, you know, and, you know, I think that's, it's such a dark place where it, 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 it becomes, this becomes your personal battle, you know, and you're going to have to learn how to, mm -hmm. uh, fight really, really hard. Uh, and, um, yeah, you know, you're just gonna have to just fight hard and, and don't give up. Don't throw in that tile, uh, you know. And I think, you know, what happened to me that was, you know, the the attempted suicide. I think, you know, and I think I know it played a role with that. Was um, was me having just so much medication inside my system that. It, it made everything foggy for me and I couldn't make decisions. So I was under influence of a lot of heavy medication, you know? And, and so, um, so it's even hard to, and so when I look back at that and just thinking about where other people m may be at right now, uh, veteran and non-veteran, um, that's hard to navigate. It's, it's just hard to really navigate. The best thing I would say is you just going to have to fight really, really hard and, and whatever that's positive around you at that time, hold on to it as your buoy and, 
um, and and just and, and hold on to it. Yeah, and keep fighting. The long term, I can I can speak more than that. Is um, the long term is is the offering is the what you what you can do and what helps is that long term is that once you get once when you punch through that darkness, the key to that long term is aligning your life with the right people that's going to support you, number one. Mm-hmm. Um, also changing your habits, mm-hmm. even down to how you eat. Um, everything relates to the mental mm-hmm. uh, illness of whatever that we're fighting with, etc. So we, if you consume a lot of soft drinks and a lot of sweets, that stuff right there is another form of negative toxic medicine stuff that's that you're injecting back into your system that your body does not need. It, your body needs the right type of food um, and the right type of you know liquids, etc., nourishments and everything for your mind to be able to operate, be able to breathe, be able to function. And so it takes a lot of discipline of what I'm talking about. Um, but that future, you know, moving forward, that long term is not just going through the process and dealing with your therapy, et cetera, but it takes, it's going to call you to be more disciplined to clean up your space of where you lay your head at, number one. And cleaning up your space, that means taking out the negative, taking out the negative that you eat, taking out the negative that's around you, et cetera, and aligning yourself up with the right positive connecting pieces, changing your negative habits into positive habits. It's a long-term process of changing your, 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 your op- the way you operate through that whole process in order to maintain your sanity and to move forward. If you, you know, I, I have to do that myself, you know, I constantly have to do it. And also to even to this day, you know, I, I even talk about myself. I, you know, I, um, every week I'm in therapy every week I'm in acupuncture therapy and every week I'm in massage therapy. You know, I have to maintain what I've uh, eat as far as food. I eat a lot of vegetables. I drink a lot of water. I don't mess with coffee because coffee does have a negative, uh, influence onto uh, uh, mental illness. And I try to do everything natural. And then if I ever find myself in a, my, my, my head down, um, you know what? I have a certain group of people who I lean into, which is my community that, that can help it. So I'm using a lot of tools around me every day in order to function and operate. We, we, we can never find a healing place, but this is our process to sustain ourselves, to keep on going and, and remain kind of like in this flow of, of pursuing the healing piece. And at pursuing a healing piece is, is you being able to operate and function, right? You know, being able to operate and do the right thing and make the right decisions and stay healthy, being able to understand um, what, um, what, what, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, self-care means, you know? Really taking the time and understanding how what self care means and how you have to apply self care into your daily daily task or what you're trying to do every day. You know, my the way I look at it is dealing with mental illness. 
depression, anxiety, PTSD, etc. Um, it's a responsibility that you have to take upon yourself once when you get through that dark side to sustain that to sustain that you have to be able to add these kind of pieces into your life to sustain yourself on the long term haul for your time for the rest of the time you are on this planet basically you know um, if you don't do that you will have some failures along the way you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, yeah, you have some failures on that. That's really what will happen, you know, uh, you know, so, um, yeah, I hope that's the best. I don't you know. I mean, that's that's what I know and what I've learned. And that's how I practice my life, you know, basically. But yeah. Absolutely. And uh, to be clear, uh, I am not a mental health professional and I'm pretty sure you're not either. Um, we're certainly not offering a diagnosis or right. uh, a, a regimen necessarily, right. but uh, we will link to um, folks if you are uh, experiencing mental trauma or um, you know having suicidal thoughts. Uh, we'll link to some um, resources in our show notes here uh, on the website. And I will offer this though that I, I completely agree with you on changing your life. Um, and I found when I finally was able to surrender to the disease that I have um, in alcoholism uh, that I could then finally move forward. And as the um, best person in our family, um, hands down uh, with a family vote, uh, it was uh, my mom's cousin, Father John, Mm. back from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And he said to me, um, actually, on my wedding day, he was at – Venka and my wedding, and he said, uh, Salvatore Ambulando, which means mm. it is solved by walking. Mm. So keep walking, ask for help, and um, and then do those things in your daily regimen, like like you were talking about, Chad. I I, I hear you on all of that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, for sure. Uh, we're now, without further ado, I'm so excited to get into. Um, Soul River. My my bottom led me to film the wild. Your bottom led you to launching Soul River. What exactly is it, and why do you focus on youth? Why did that come to you as a means to be of service with the talents and the gifts that you're given? <clears throat> well, you know, Soul River, you know, it it's um, it's Soul River is is a way of finding finding space for, for yourself to, um, unravel and reconnect to nature and community. Um, it's, it's a way for souls to come together that are are fighting on many different levels or whatever they're fighting for. Uh, they can be able to come together and serve one another. And those souls are youth and veterans of what I focus on. Um, why, um, I'm a veteran that, suffers from PTSD um, and me having an opportunity, uh, a second opportunity to launch this organization. I look back on how, what nature has done for me. um, And I feel that nature can do the same for many more other vets out there that are fighting as well. Uh, Youth. 
you know, um, really the main reason why, you know, focusing on youth, because I was that youth and I come from a broken home. Um, I was also into gangs uh, and um, and had a, a really hard time growing up. And I my mother gave, you know, not gave me, but she she um, put me into the Big Brother, Big Sister program. And my big brother, ironically, my big brother happened to be the captain of the police department in Austin, Texas. <laughs> and so I would never forget him. I'll keep you out of trouble. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, and so he became my big brother. And, uh, and so we did a lot of things together and he would come and pick me up. And uh, he, you know, he actually he did a scare tactic on me one day. I, I remember it's clearly he he took me to the Austin police department and took me down to the jail cell and, um, uh, had me, uh, uh, do it, done, um, uh, fingerprints. I'd done all my fingerprints right in front of him and didn't know. And then he took me down to one of the jails and put me in a jail and then he locked, locked me up and he walked away, <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, and, you know, and I was like, Whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> Where are you going? And I was freaking out and stuff like that, but he came back and uh, check please. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, and he talked to me and um, and he says, so, you know, you know, he was like, yeah, you know, well, I want you to understand that, you know, we have two choices, two options in our lives and you have every opportunity to um, to to make the best life that you want to make or you have an opportunity to make another choice and you, you make this choice of going down this route here, this is this is where you may end up at. You know, a lot of people do end up here, and it's it's not a place where I want to see you. So um, I, you know, want you to see like this is what happens when you make the wrong choice in life, et cetera. This is what happens if you decide that you know you disrespect your parents, you disrespect elder, that kind of stuff. So he had this whole long conversation with me. And I, I was already in, in trouble. I was <laughs> running gangs and and all this kind of stuff. And um, but it made an impact on my life. It definitely made an impact, you know, on my life, you know. And, um, you know, so um, and I understand the importance of uh, of, you know, of leadership and guardian uh, or mentorship. Uh, I understand why. And, and it's, it's really, really needed in our communities, especially in broken home families. You know, the the mother, she can she, you know, she does the best that she can do. And I was raised by a single you know, woman and, and, uh, you know, my mom was awesome. She had to wear two hats, you know? Um, uh, but th there's also a thing is when, you know, young, young boys and young girls, uh, can, can be able to also have, uh, a balance of, 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 of support of, uh, you know, of, uh, of a big brother, big sister type of relationship, you know, with, you know, with a, a mentor or someone that does, that makes a big difference. Uh, it, it weighs out the, um, the 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 raising of children basically you know that's like an extension of community you know that helps supports the family and um you know so when i look back and look at the youth especially you know the inner city youth and what's going on and you know not a lot of the you know the inner city kids the youth of color has these you know various opportunities to be able to break away and relax in nature you know the mom and dad is working really hard and some of them are coming from broken homes and some of them are actually raising their own, their, their own selves up, you know. Uh, and so there's really no time, 
no time to actually know what recreation is about. You know, uh, there's that that time is not there. You know, and so looking at Soul River, that I was just like, well, you know, this is what I'm going to do. You know, my march now is just I'm going to reach out to you know uh, inner city kids. I'm going to work with veterans, use veterans as a way of bringing their leadership into that space. They're already a natural DNA leader automatically uh, and connecting with our youth. And you know what? You put these two together by default that you basically jolts that veteran uh, as a wake up of the fact that, oh, I remember who I am. I'm a leader. Uh, it gives them purpose. Uh, and that veteran injects that leadership like a big brother or a big sister. And that youth basically gets an opportunity to get that big brother and big sister on board. And they become that youth community, hands down, period. That community is that connected family, you know? But yeah. Amazing. Can you paint me a picture of um, a successful outing or one that's memorable for you, uh, just so we can get in our mind's eye? what this kind of looks like? A successful outing for me is when I'm able to witness the changing of life on the river in real time between youth and veterans. You know, um, it's, it's not really about, um, you know, anything else other than there's a journey that comes into play because we go to very far off places of wild lands and, and fresh water. Um, can you can you give us a couple examples of some of the places you go to? Uh, some of those places that I go to are some of the places that the organization goes to is um, like the Arctic, um, the Arctic Wildlife Refuge. Whoa. Uh, we have been through down to the Florida uh, Everglades, uh, Utah, Navajo land, uh, and uh, we've done some uh, deployments down to Mexico. On the Gila River, uh, yeah, we're up, we're pretty much all over the place. Yeah, incredible. And it sounds like this is something that is reciprocal. That the the vets are getting just as much out of this as the young people are. Yeah, and that seems to be the things that work the best. And I found myself in when I'm fortunate enough to be in mentorship positions, either receiving or, um, or, or, uh, giving mentorship that it, it is a reciprocal thing. Yeah. I also found in, and I encourage uh, everybody out there to, to look up soulriver.org and, um, check out the soul river code. There are multiple examples here that I absolutely intonate come from your military background. Yeah. Stuff like, <laughs> stuff like I serve my community and my team with honor and integrity. Absolutely. Yeah. I hold myself and my gear to the highest state of readiness. And I'd love for you all to read this, but the one that really stood out to me the most in this light is I lead by example. Yeah. And that to me suggests not just I'm receiving something in this deal, but there's an expectation that I'm going to take something from this and I'm going to, contribute to the rest of the world through this experience. Is that true? That's very true. That's very true. That whole lead by example is, um, um, I, you know, you summed it up really, really well. It's, it's, uh, definitely, it's kind of like the mindset of, uh, of, uh, of veterans, you know, um, uh, you know, and, um, 
there's there's <laughs> you know it's uh there's no such thing of throwing in the towel from a veteran standpoint. You know, we, we're going to, mm-hmm. you know, you give us a mission. We're going to, you know, we, we may fall, we'll fall through with it, you know, but you know, our process, it may come back with duct tape or whatever, but you know, well, we, <laughs> we, we will follow through and we'll find a way, you know? And I think that's the mindset of like, you never, you never give up. You follow through with what you say you're going to do, um, whatever that mission is. Mm-hmm. And that mission is leading, uh, these youths and in following through uh, with with your leadership and experience to instill into these youth, um, and and also along with that is the respect that we carry uh, for our community and the remembrance of of why we signed that dotted line um, to join the military. You know, and so there's a lot of deep uh, respect, a lot of honor. Um, you know, intertwined with that leadership. And it's our opportunity to get these youth, um, you know, to see what we represent and then in exchange to where these youth allow us to instill in them um, our leadership. And it's many gifts because they're getting gifts from all over the place, you know. And, you know, when I mean gifts, it's like, I mean, like, you know, in the military, you got, you know, men and women from all over the United States come from all over the place, you know, and uh, and and with many, many different experiences. So you drop 12 veterans, each veteran served in a war or not. They have a phenomenal amount of deep type of leadership that's very unique and very different. Uh, compared to another veteran, you know? Uh, and so these youth are in the mix of 12 veterans that is going to get a re- like receive so much intense styles of different leadership, a different community, a support system, uh, a different type of confidence build. Um, we got young ladies in the mix, uh, you know, they get an opportunity to take on different ways and layers from women leaders who are veterans, right? You know, these women veterans have done so much and fought and from their identity, their gender to them leading troops. I mean, it's on so many different levels. So these young girls, they, they get these gifts, these small little gifts, right. And and that each veteran is giving them and, and it builds them up, you know, and you see that, and that's the change. And that's when you start seeing that transformational change uh, on the water in nature, between that veteran and that youth, you see it. You you see it clearly. There's a shift that happens, and um, and it's pretty. It's 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 a miracle. It's beautiful, you know. And I think that's that's really what gets me going and gets me back on the water uh, when I'm doing deployments. Is that that's what that's 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 that gets me going. Period. You know. But yeah, we're gonna shift into love is king here in a moment. But just to kind of put a cap on this. I was just going to lead into that kind of uh, experience of transformation. I was just going to ask you about that when you brought it up. Uh, I made the haphazard error of trying to instruct my wife in the fine art of fly fishing. Uh (laughs) Um, Spouses should not teach spouses how to fly fish. Um, I agree. (laughs) Thankfully, my dear friend Dave McCoy stepped in and saved the day and gave Vanka a fly fishing lesson a couple weekends ago and it went great. Imagine that. 
So I guess the, the way I'm framing this is that it's, it's not the easiest thing mechanically. And especially if you're a young person and you're, you're coming from uh, maybe some trauma at home and some, you're, you're bringing something to the river with you, um, all the more so, what does that transformation look like to you? Can you maybe paint that picture for us when there's a breakthrough and that young person like gets the way that the, the, the mechanics of fly fishing work for just a second and God forbid actually catches a fish and does that in the presence of natural leaders and mentors. What, what does that look like to you? What's that satisfaction like for you? Uh, that's satisfaction. I would say, uh, to me is, 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 is seeing my, my circle closed again. Like, Hmm. you know, um, you know how we can, we can walk through life and feeling like incomplete on certain, you know, whatever that we're mm-hmm. getting involved with or, we're, we're, you know, what we're doing. Um, that gives me a complete circle that, um, that a feeling of being complete, um, you know. Amazing. Yeah, you know. Um, it also opens up a new circle, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, <laughs> and, and it opens up a new circle, but that new circle is now starting uh, with, uh, now we got work to do and that work yeah. is, uh, how do we sustain, um, that passion of that young person? Uh, how do we, uh, feed the passion and feed the desire and that awe of that young person to keep that young person in line and in focus and um, and so and that comes into play. So now it's like because they're hungry, they are young advocates, they're excited. And so it's also our job is to keep them excited and by um, giving them more opportunity or showing them opportunity of where they can apply their excitement. And that's when we start helping them connect the dots to um um, jobs, um, career uh, paths that they can take. And because our ultimate goal from a veteran standpoint is is really raising them up into uh, future leaders for tomorrow in our conservation world. And if we can, you know, get them up to speed uh, where they even go to college, you know, number one, going to college is great. I mean, that's the, that's like ultimate, that's awesome. And, and not every kid is made for that. And of course it may just be an intern or something, but if we get them going in that direction, that's, that's what, that's what we dare for. Um, but if, if it goes further and it's something that they go into conservation world, that's even sweeter, you know, but we don't, um, I think we at Soul River, we, we don't really, uh, we're not picky. We're, we're just interested in, making sure that the youth are always safe and moving forward in their lives. And, and we try to put the, the careers in front of them where they can see uh, what they like to maybe pursue or not pursue. But the bottom line is that's, that is where the work gets put in for the, to, it reopens that circle reopens. And so it's more about a career path and leadership and sustaining uh, that interest and showing how they can take their passion and, and, and grow with that, basically. 
Soul River is beautiful. Thank you, Chad. We will link to that in our show notes. You have another venture, a new venture. Uh, It's called Love is King. And um, I'm going to read from your mission statement here. Um, It goes like this. We're on a mission to activate, inspire, and empower a humanitarian movement that will mobilize citizens of all colors to carry out our humanitarian obligation that will raise our collective consciousness, educate, and help facilitate conflict resolution through love, empathy, respect, and a true sense of personal responsibility without discrimination. And it all ultimately boils down to this one statement for me, uh, the freedom to roam in nature as a basic human right. I think that is brilliant. Thank you. And so I would love to hear from you, and I know we'd all love to hear, how did you come up with this vision? What does it entail? And how are you moving forward? Well, you know, um, I've always, I guess you could say it started out like when I'm speaking, you know, with different folks and stuff. Um, um, one of the things that brought came to my um to the forefront through uh, a buddy partner of mine, uh, friend um, who is now a board member, basically. But he kind of pulled it out because you know, a lot of times when I'm speaking, I always in his love is king. And I say that a lot, you know, randomly, you know, and it's kind of my way of ending my conversation. Um, but to go deeper with that, you know, um, when I was young, I was my father and my mom, they, you know, they would read to me a lot and um, they would keep me, you know, keep books by my bed and stuff. And a lot of it was a lot of Martin Luther King books. And, um, and so, and I think my subconscious went there as soon as I, my buddy brought that into the forefront, love is King. And I started thinking about that, you know, and, you know, and it goes deeper because the fact that it does come from, uh, Martin Luther King's um, uh, one, you know, the way he speaks and what he stands for, and you know, and going off of the things that I'm witnessing, the things I'm seeing today, and the things that has happened to me as an African American man uh, slash veteran in the outdoors, because I had my share of of uh, racism and hate and crime done to me, um, you know, I think it, it got to a boiling point to where I felt like the main thing that we're missing in our society is, is loving one another. But yet it's hmm. that simple, but it's just that complex. And, um, and there's a lot of pain on both ends, you know, of the spectrum here, you know, um, we never as a society stopped to really um, have a conversation or have an apology, have a, a listen instead of uh, speaking out. We never did that to each other, you know, and we're slowly starting to try to do that, but the way things are, things are so much in a boiling point that it's just, it hurts on both ends. And we go to war. We still haven't solved the problem, you know, and uh, we, we've been in many wars and 
never really saw the problem. You know, what comes out of war is pain, loss, uh, guilt, you know, um, mental, you know, whatever you want to call that, you know, just destruct, destruction on both ends. It's the same thing what we do to ourselves, even on our daily tasks in our own society, in our own lives, in our own communities. Um, and really, the most simplest form that can weave us together and bring us together is the act of love for one another. And, um, and it's something that's heavily missed in, in today's society. Um, and, um, and the love I'm talking about is, again, it's, you know, Martin Luther King, he done it really well and he lived his life like this is the love of a warrior. I'm not talking about the love in a family as a husband or a wife, partner, or in a relationship. I'm talking about the love of a warrior, the ethos love of a warrior. And what I mean by that is you are willing to step up for someone that can't speak for themselves and you're willing to step into a place that's going to challenge you, that's going to make you feel that uncomfortable, that's going to make you even stutter step of even thinking about moving forward because the fact that it will probably either endanger you or cripple you or hinder you or take whatever away that you have worked for in your life, but it's asking you to step up for this person here. That's the love that I'm talking about. And it goes so deep. And that's the deepness of the love of what is needed in our community. It's stepping in and standing up for not what you believe, but stepping in and standing up for others to help them be able to pull themselves up and step in and create equal, fair opportunity space for healing and we need more of that, you know, my, you know, that's kind of like where love is king is all about, you know, where, where, you know, the, the deeperness of me, you know, of, of formulating this idea, this concept is, yeah, you know, we need, this is the, this, this is a platform of action. It's not a platform to study uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, or jetty or anything. Those are needed. Yes. That's not a platform. This is a platform to step up on an actionable platform if you're looking to step in and put action to your heart to help others and 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 and, and making the outdoors safe, making the outdoors accessible to BIPOC communities, elderly, LGBTQ communities, including even women. Who are just by themselves. You find women that are afraid to walk down a trail by themselves, but only with the group. You have BIPOC communities that will only stay with their groups, but not venture out. And the ones you do find that stay with the venture out are the ones that are really well seasoned in the outdoors like myself. But that's very, very little compared to the majority of masses or urban communities. There's a problem. 
And that problem is a shared fear across the entire platform that nobody's not talking about and not willing to take the sit down and listen to what that fear is or what that person's dealing with, you know? And so that's love is king. The love is king is, 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 is about making a bias free space in the outdoors where people in all walks of life to be able to be themselves and feel free to roam in nature without the hate, the bigotry, the racism and the ignorance because it's there. But we need to also make sure that we can eliminate that, you know, the best way possible for that young person or that woman to feel comfortable to roam in nature, you know. And so but yeah, that's that's love is king. Yeah. What I'm hearing is uh, a shared invitation for vulnerability and empathy. Yeah. And I can tell you in my own life, when the Me Too movement really broke wide open, I did a – it just happened to be – it was coincidental. I, I was in a um, gender equality workshop, and one of these exercises, we did some visualization, and I visualized – my wife and my mom and my aunt and some of my best friends that are women in some of these compromised situations. And for the first time had this breakthrough about this is so deeply personal and we are living in such seemingly similar, but utterly different worlds just by the difference in our sex or our race or, or the color of our skin. Absolutely. We're all the same race. Yeah. But, uh, and I, I wept, I broke down and just wept, just imagining like my mom or my, my wife going through those situations that were so, uh, hurtful. And it was the same thing. And I got to say, you know, Chad, with you, I, I know that, uh, you were out one, at least one time and your rig had gotten broken into and it was awful. And, and I was I was visualizing the same thing, and it hurt. And last, just over the weekend here, I I went out fishing myself. Um, I went uh, in South Puget Sound fishing for sea run cutthroats, and uh, tried a new spot. Uh, it was kind of off the the grid or my grid anyway. And and I got into fish, and it was I lost all sense of time. It was bliss. It was amazing. But I had um, an instance where I turned my head over my shoulder at one point and there was a guy on the beach and he was clearly very, very high. Mm. And if mm. I had to guess he was high on meth or, you know, it was, it was a pretty intense thing and he was trying to kind of get my attention and I didn't feel particularly safe in that moment. And I started thinking about this. Now I'm, I'm a, a man with white privilege and, and I started thinking about this conversation that we're having right now. And now coming full circle and bringing myself into what is that like for a, a woman on the trail or a person of color yeah. who is in a rural place that is not necessarily filled with other people of color. And man, it hit me again, like a ton of bricks. Right. This is the work you're doing. Yeah. This is, is to try to make a place that at least psychologically feels safe for people to go to what I have taken for granted as the ubiquitous ultimate healer for all of us, yeah. nature. 
Thank you. And I take that for granted as a white person of privilege. So, you know, what I want to know is like, how do we do this? How, How do we provide safe places and safe experiences as allies and as um, advocates for empathy and for vulnerability and for healing in, in the outdoors, how do we do this together? That's a good question. Thank you for saying that and sharing. Um, You know, I I don't have all the answers, um, but I do know that it's going to take a community to, to make this work. Um, You know, and, um, and when it, when it comes to that community, and working with allies, um, it's going to take, and I really appreciate what you're saying, but it's going to ta- it's going to take more of, of of white allies to go a little deeper within themselves and not be so quick um, to create um, a response and give an answer to someone uh, of what they're going through. It's going to take more. It's going to require that person to be disciplined, to be able to sit and listen and learn how to listen hmm. uh, to their stories. They they have a we BIPOC has a story within that story. They're also are giving the community and white allies a very strategic map on what they're dealing with and what they need help with. A lot of times we get very caught up into amping up an answer before the person even finishes their story. It's not about giving answers. It's more about listening. And then when we learn how to listen is when we are able to even come closer together as a community to start building this type of environment. Before we can get there, we need to start listening. Then the process you just shared with me. Um, is phenomenal. And it's awesome that you are able to see that. Um, I have faced many, um, many folks of, of white race, you know, especially out, especially men, uh, and been challenged. In the, and it goes back to a default. That doesn't exist. I've never experienced that. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> you know, so I'm just like, well, it fundamentally the reason why it doesn't exist is because it's not a, it's not about you. Number one. And number two is fundamentally that you're you are uh, you're, you're white and you move through life differently compared to how I would move through life as well. I hate to even bring that up and talk about it, but that's where we are at. And that's where our society is, you know, and that's what we have to deal with. Absolutely. That's what we deal with. Right. And and so these are again, these are hard conversations, but they're conversations that needs to be uh, talked about in a very healthy manner and a very respectful manner. And we need to start acknowledging these things, you know, and looking at it, you know, and when that person has that when that person can. Can, that that just said that, you know, I've never seen this. This doesn't happen to me. Well, that person actually needs not to respond to that and realize that it's not about them. They just need to understand and, and take the time to listen to what this person is saying and have and have, uh, um, you know, um, uh, grace 
apply grace to what's happening here. You know, what you're listening to, you know, and, and empathy and, and, uh, and love, right? You know, uh, you know, because that's loving one another. And, and again, it's what I said earlier about the ethos warrior. That person who's at a white ally, what love is king is asking you to do is put yourself to the side and step into this space that's going to make you a little bit vulnerable and allow yourself to listen well to what this person is saying. It may not make you feel good. It may make you feel bad. And that's okay because the fact that you are there, you're showing up and you're listening and that's what's needed to get done first. Once we can start listening to one another is that's when we can start coming together. And now we can start working together to solve a problem because by you letting down your personal and stepping into that space, you're also opening yourself up of connecting to that person. And guess what? You're sh- now you're sharing uh, a, a, a love for that person. You're sharing empathy. You're sharing, you're applying grace and because the fact that what's happening is that you're starting to care for what that person has went through. When you start to care about something, it's just as much important as if I go into the outdoors and I find my ah moment. When you find your ah moment, what does that mean? That means you're willing to step up and protect the land. You're willing to step up and protect the fish, right? Same thing here is finding that ah moment with that person. Right. You learn from that person. You find an odd moment. And guess what? You're not just a white. You're not just an ally, but you're stepping in because you want to support that person. You want to protect that person. You're showing your love. And now we can work together because neither one of us don't want to get hurt anymore. Right. Neither one of us don't want to. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. you know, it, both the both of us wants the right thing. And what that right thing is is equality, is a safe space, is a bias-free zone, and the both us feel comfortable, and we can have this awesome engagement of, of, of breaking bread together and enjoying our time in nature together, you know? Uh, and, we, and guess what? We're still strangers, <laughs> you know? And, you know, that's the beauty of this, right? You know, and <laughs> we're still strangers, you know, and, and but but we have common ground to where we can work together now, you know, uh, you know, and, and, and so but what I'm saying is like, I don't have all the answers. Those are really fundamental. But those fundamental things that I just shared, just shared is um, it's complex. It's hard. It acquires it's going to acquire the both parties, either you're on the listening stage or the, you know, the information stage, the sharing, et cetera, but it's going to acquire both, the both people to be vulnerable. You know, love is going to have to step in on many different levels for one another in order to work together. You know, my grandma used to tell me all the time, it's like, if you have an argument with your girlfriend or, and it goes really south, love is supposed to step in. You know, if, if love doesn't step in, then there's a problem and you will always have that problem. But if it has to get to that point, love steps in. That's what's supposed to happen, you know. And so we have to allow ourselves uh, to allow love to step in for one another uh, on this path here, you know, both ways. Yeah.
I think the perfect cap for this is is a quote that you included on your uh, Love is King site from Dr. King. And it goes, power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice. Right. And justice at its best is power correcting everything that stands against love. Uh, to cap off this section, um, Salmon healed me. Like I know nature has healed and continues to heal you and continues to heal us both. What are the mechanics of paying this forward in the context of love is king? What, what kind of situations, what kind of programs and um, ideas are you going to implement that folks can get involved with uh, moving forward? I know you're in the nascent phases of all this, yeah. but um, are, are there ways that people can get involved? Yeah, there's many different ways. Uh, we have what we call heritage events. I got to update the site a little bit, you know, add this stuff there. But we got what we call heritage events. And heritage events gives an opportunity for uh, white allies um, to step into a space to help support BIPOC communities uh, of entry into the outdoors. And what we do is we work together collectively and we identify holidays throughout the year. And these holidays are celebrating holidays of many different people's cultures and lives. And we turn each holiday into a heritage event uh, and give it a theme, entry level theme into the outdoors. A good example is what this looks like, say, like, you know, Black History Month. And we have a heritage event happening this weekend. And so at the heritage event, we work collectively with um, conservation groups and also um, corporate companies, and also individuals. And collectively as a community, we came together and created this interesting, uh, called the Matthew Henson Outing Experience. And we're doing it right at the foothills of of Forest Park. Again, entry level, easy level to easy get in and have a really awesome time. But it's kind of like taking what you go through uh, through a natural history museum, when you have a guy that's talking about the history, talking about the culture, et cetera, we lift that up, we leave the walls of the museum there, and we apply that into the outdoors. So you come to the trailhead, you have two guides, you have a natural guide that's going to be guiding the team, guiding the people, and then we're going to have a guy uh, like a professor who's knowledgeable about Matthew Henson's life, and he's going to basically tell the story of Matthew Henson. This gives us an opportunity to elevate this figure. It gives us to celebrate Black History Month and to tell a story while new folks are coming to this space to hike and create a really awesome, interesting experience. And it's all collectively done together. And so we with Nubbis King will sit down on a calendar and work with each partner and identify. We'll do the same thing for LGBTQ celebration. We'll do the same thing for Native American history, et cetera, and on and on and on. But we create these really interesting outings, you know, so we have the Matthew Henson outing and then we have the Buffalo Soldiers outing, which they, not people don't know, but they were the first regiment to drive, uh, I mean, to ride their, uh, 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 their bikes through the national park. And so we're going to tie it into a single track mm-hmm. mountain bike, basically experience tied into the history and the storytelling of the Buffalo soldiers. And then we're going to have the, uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah. And then, and, you know, so it goes on and on. And so that's one thing um, so cool. is we're constantly, you know, this, again, this is an actual platform. So it, it opens itself up to many people 
all people who wants to volunteer support to help create these heritage events. And these heritage events are really focused towards bringing new BIPOC community into the outdoors, creating a safe space for learning, a safe space for creating awesome memories. And we all learn about the stories and the history, et cetera, of that land while we're walking down the trails. And it's a really collectively deeper impact for community growth uh, from a corporate standpoint down to BIPOC uh, community leaders, you know, uh, you know, and we also have um, what we call uh, um, what do you call it? Um, stories over silence. And this is a uh, you know, this is another way to participate, but it's much more catered towards a more BIPOC, but it is open. But what it is, it's, um, you know, we, it's really simple. We 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 give out like a uh, a go to one, two, three, four step of outline that we want you to speak to. And you just basically use your phone and video record, you know, about, um, you know, the, the video about your experience in the outdoors tied to welcome access and safety. And it's called stories over silence uh, and everything. So, and, and when you record it, we post that this cool. gives people an under opportunity to learn and listen. Uh, it takes the way to charge, uh, from having to, you know, ask questions, et cetera, to that person because they record it. And but this just get basically puts you in a position just to listen and learn from uh, people of color of their experiences called stories over silence, you know, uh, you know. And so those, you know, I just named a couple things, but we're also looking for volunteers to help support on many different levels. It's a new nonprofit and um, and we are and we're growing. <laughs> yeah. It's fantastic. Um, and just so our listeners know, uh, when you're referring to BIPOC, yeah. can you elucidate that for us? Uh, black, indigenous, people, color. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And um, we, of course, are going to link to the, the, all the work you're doing on our site and at avaswild.com. But uh, just so if folks are driving right now, um, where can they find your work and how to get involved? Yeah. So my personal work, <laughs> I'll just throw this out there. Uh, my personal work, my photography is uh, chattelcreative.com. Uh, uh, and then my nonprofit number one is soulriverinc.org. You can always, you can go, you find all the information you need on that. And then uh, my third, I mean, sorry, my second nonprofit is uh, loveisking.org. And so you can find that online as well. Awesome. Yeah, we'll we'll link to all of that in our show notes and at avaswild.com. And, but nobody gets out of here without doing the speed round. So um, here comes the speed round questions for you. Are you ready? Uh, I don't know what a speed round okay. is. <laughs> okay, just a rapid, just a rapid fire coming at you real quick. It's uh, it's not too mind bending, but basically, picture this: uh, your house is on fire. <laughs> we don't want that, of course, but. Uh, if it were, of course, you get your loved ones out first. But in addition to them, what's the one physical thing you save from the fire? My dog, my service dog. Yeah. Of course, my goodness. What's your dog's name again? Uh, his name is Axe. Right. Yeah. He's. And by the way, he he has his own website. <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. <laughs> Is it is it just axe.org? Uh is it's uh axetheservicedog.com. Uh, Amazing. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> 
my dogs are going to want to, my dogs are going to want a website now too. Um, all right. Now let's, let's call it your spiritual house. Let's say your spiritual house is on fire. What are the two most important things about your life that you take with you? Wow. My spiritual house. Um, that I would, if my, my house is on, my, my house is still on fire right now. Yeah. So if you could take two things that were most important to you in building your spiritual life, your life of integrity, your, you know, mental health life, what, what are those two things? Well, Axe is already taken. So, <laughs> uh, I would say, uh, my, um, um, my rod and, um, and my camera. <laughs> Those are important. Yeah. I, I, I would, I would say the same. Those are a big up on my list too. And would you leave anything behind in the house to burn or be purified in the fire? Uh, I would probably, if I had an opportunity to come back, I would take my bows, my archery bows, and then I'll leave everything else as is. Good enough. Chad Brown, <laughs> you are always an inspiration and always so fun to talk to. We could go on and I'm hoping you'll come back another time and we can check in and see how Love is King is doing and yeah. see how we can continue to further support your work with uh, Soul River. And I hope we get a chance to fish together one of these days soon. Yeah, man. That'd be awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, for now, take care and uh, thank you all for tuning in and we'll see you next time. All right. Thank you. Take care. How do you say what you love? How do you say what you love? Thank you for listening to Say What You Love. If you like what you're hearing, you can help keep these conversations coming your way by giving us a rating on Apple Podcasts. You can check out photos and links from this episode at avaswild.com. While there, you can join our growing community by subscribing to our newsletter. You'll get exclusive offers on wild salmon shipped to your door and notifications about upcoming guests and more great content on the way. That's at avaswild.com. That's the word save, spelled backwards, wild.com. This episode was produced by Tyler White and edited by Patrick Troll. Original music was created by Whiskey Class. This podcast is a collaboration between Ava's Wild Stories and Salmon Nation and was recorded on the homelands of the Duwamish people. We'd like to recognize these lands and waters and their significance for the peoples who lived and continue to live in this region, whose practices and spiritualities were and are tied to the land and the water and whose lives continue to enrich and develop in relationship to the land, waters, and other inhabitants today.